Welcome to the CEIBS China Knowledge Podcast, produced by the China Europe International Business School. And now our speaker, the next speaker is Professor Ding Yuan, Vice President and Dean, Cathay Capital Chair in Accounting of CIBS. Uh, Professor Ding is an expert on Chinese companies going global and is a top transnational accounting expert as well. Today he will talk about the globalization of Chinese companies, opportunities and challenges. Welcome, Professor Ding. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, to attend our school's third forum. And uh, I will talk about uh, the globalization of Chinese companies on behalf of my other uh, four colleagues, including actually Professor Catherine Xin here, because since five years we have been working together on the project of a research center in the school, and we studied uh, around uh, 20 to 30 different cases, and uh, these are the very short uh, summary of our research outcomes. Uh, and the book uh, is already published in Chinese and we are working on the English version. So uh, this is the agenda. So we will go through quickly during uh, 15 minutes about the FDI from China, uh, several uh, very uh, highlighted cases recently happened uh, in, the, in, the, in the area, especially in U Europe. And then we will try to understand the motivations behind their acquisition. And then we can make some prediction who will uh, fail and who will succeed. So let's go with the first one. And I'm sure that everybody is very familiar with this uh, chart, uh, looking at the numbers. And last year, this is the most uh, uh, con uh, conservative number is 170 billion U.S. dollars uh, outbound investment from China in 1916. And some estimates it gives even high number above uh, 200 billion. And you can see that the, the increase is is extremely impressive. Of course, people will argue that uh, uh, since the past six, uh, seven months, there is a, a decline because of some uh, uh, regulatory limitations in China, but that won't change the trend at all. So my prediction is that in the coming one or two decades, you will see at least around one, 100 billion US dollars outbound investment from China every year. Because even the, the 170 billion here is very impressive. It represents merely uh, 11 to 13 percent of the market share. Uh, worldwide last year for the cross-border investment. So the, the percentage is still not that impressive. And especially if you look at the stock of Chinese realized investment overseas, I, I did some com com computation, and actually the number is uh, only 20% of the French stock. So what does it mean? That means for, for ages, we didn't make any investment out of China. So out of sudden, we started to do it. So given the economic size and the, the, the trend and the motivation we'll discuss later, it's unavoidable that Chinese will come out as a, a 
then it's not become a, become a news, but it's a, become a constant factor in the uh, outbound investment market uh, in the world. So let's look at uh, two big cases. I, 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 I'm sure that everybody here knows these two cases. The first one is just closed. This is the biggest uh, Chinese outbound investment uh, realized by the uh, China Chemical in, in Switzerland by acquiring Syngenta, and the case was closed 10 days ago. And the other one is slightly less known. Uh, it's a big investment by the Solvency Fund into uh, actually bought from a UK-based uh, uh, fund run by uh, Blackstone, which is a logistic warehouse uh, company. And here you see there are two different uh, logics behind. The first one we will talk more about is how to leverage uh, by using the Chinese market and Chinese development to create more value with uh, existing foreign assets. The second one is more about the asset diversification to get some cash flow stable assets uh, sitting out of China. So it's a very common strategy among some conglomerate or uh, financial driven uh, big fund uh, from China. So, here, I will mainly focus on the first category because with uh, Catherine and others, we, we find out 70% of the Chinese investment, outbound investment, actually are related to the first category, like Syngenta. So why are they go going, or why are they coming? Here now we're in the UK. So here we make a very simple uh, comparison between two categories, you, you know, Western companies, you can put here Unilever, you can put uh, uh, L'Oreal or ABB, okay, and on this side you have the Chinese company, many of them are very unknown, and if you compare these acquirers, these companies are doing internationalization, and you see there's very clear differences in their characteristics. Just look at the potential of the domestic market. Of course, if we talk about UK market or French market or even worse, Swiss market, the market is extremely small. So the, the, the potential is not that high. However, as you know, China uh, is now becoming the second case in the world that you can be purely domestic and by the size and the complexity, you will enter into the Fortune 500. It only happened before that in US market. But now China is becoming the second case in the history. However, if you look at the, the new acquirers from China, many of them, they are technologically weak, no brand image or very bad brand image, and very low capacity, not very sophisticated in the organizational cap capacity. So when we start to work on these cases, uh, Catherine and I and uh, my colleagues, we have a lot of struggles to understand why these companies are going out. And we try to apply the merchant acquisition theories that we can find all from all the books from US or UK or the famous GE 100 days, this kind of framework. It doesn't work. So actually, our conclusion, we puzzled seven months in order to find this sentence, so it was not that easy. So for most of the Chinese company, when they go out, actually they're not for the market seeking, but they're here for what we call it resource or capacity seeking. The resource can be tangible, like uh, we studied a case of uh, a Hong Kong listed uh, Guangzhou-based uh, uh, infant formula company called BioSteam, now they change the name, Health and Happiness, h, &H uh, a Hong Kong listed company, and they acquired the diary uh, of, uh, 
uh, uh, cooperate. It's even not a company in French, and they were actually uh, uh, here last year for the for the forum. And the the acquisition of the Shia into this cooperative is ready to secure the the, the supply of the high quality infant formula. And you have a lot of cases of this kind of intangible resources, but in many cases they are intangible, like the Syngenta's case. It's more about patent tech, technology, R&D, capacity, or sometimes brands. Okay, so they want to bring it back to China and to even better uh, compete in the domestic market. So that's very different. So what is the Chinese dream? Of course, everybody knows that uh, Xi Jinping talked about Chinese dream, but for each Chinese company, they also have their own Chinese dream. Okay, so here you see the first stage. So many Chinese acquirers arrive, they try to identify their ideal uh, target in order to get the adequate resources or capacity and to upgrade, improve their business in China. Why is that? Because they are facing a huge, huge uh, challenge because of the, the increase of the cost, the, the shortage of the labor, uh, the, the, the more restrictive uh, gov uh, governmental regulations on the environmental protection, and all these cost factors are going up. And in order to maintain the same margin, you have different factors you can work on. I, I won't teach you that, you know all of them. Either you improve the scale, but Chinese are already the biggest players in many, many manufacturing business, so scale doesn't matter that much for Chinese anymore. You can improve the efficiency in the supply chain domestic, and they are by far already the best. Just go to visit uh, these uh, logistic companies in uh, Delta of Yangtze or Delta Per River, you just see the extraordinary efficiency they already have, and the further improvement is extremely limited. So then if you want to gain more, you have to increase your top line, basically by increasing the price. That's the problem, because the Chinese are not good at that. They know how to reduce the price. If you, if you want to increase the price, you have to bring something unique with some brand, some uh, genuine uh, R&D or technology, and of course, they don't have that. So the, the initial uh, motivation among this mo uh, acquisition is mainly related to that. Just read the announcement from MyD uh, on, on their uh, acquisition of KUKA or the uh, PetroChina, uh, 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 Chemical China about this Shenzhenta. You see all these recurring sentence about we were finally access to this uh, uh, world-class technology to help us to improve. Then they talk about the potential the Chinese market. Always the same tune, same story. Okay. Then, once they get that, they try to apply that back to China in order to better compete in China and regain the uh, economy of scales, but at a different level, at a different uh, level of technology or brand. And once they succeed that, of course, hopefully, some of them, then they will try to move into what we call the third stage. Then finally, they will become a global player. But so far, very few Chinese companies su succeeded or fulfilled the full circle. Only one company in our study, and only from one company, one stage, which was Lenovo for the PC business. Now, of course, Lenovo start a new long march with the server business and the mobile phone business. 
So they are struggling again. So if you succeed in one experience, that won't guarantee that you will again succeed uh, in another experience. Uh, recently with Catherine, we invited uh, the, the lady who's in charge now of the mobile phone, Chao Jian. She, she, she was our EMB uh, alumna and she shared a lot of painful and difficult moments she, she, she has. Although the, if we talk about the PC, they really realize the full circle, become the number one global player in the industry. But however, the, the business is declining, so they have to find some new stuff. So, because I have very short time, so I have still two slides to go. So, what is the problem? For most, I would say, here I put some, it's a little bit more polite, but I would like to put most of them or fail. So, so what is the problem? The first thing is that some companies, because they want to follow the call from the political uh, initiative, some of them even consider globalization itself as a mission. Of course, as a politician, as an international relation expert, you can claim that. However, as a business people, I, I think it's extremely di difficult and extremely dangerous to go into this area and to claim the globalization as your mission or as your goal. And actually, uh, uh, M&A is not a strategy. M&A is a way to succeed your strategy. Sometimes no M&A is a better way to succeed your strategy, okay? So, we see a lot of problems with Chinese companies. The first one is what we call the liquidity-driven globalization. I have the money, I have to spend it. So that's also linked to the uh, state-driven financial system in China. So in China, uh, for a company, uh, regardless if state-owned or a private company, the, the money, the, su the supply of financing resources is not very predictable. In the, in the equity market, you cannot issue shares like you want. As you know, you have to go through a very uh, painful, long uh, uh, application process, and sometimes the process stopped just for some, again, political considerations, and for the banking or policy, banking financings, it's also very unpredictable. Sometimes it's go along, they even force you to take the money, sometimes they just stop. So for the companies, that makes a very opportunistic approach with their acquisition, because they have, well, on one side, they have to manage the business cycle, which is very difficult. On top of that, they have to add the financing uh, unpredictability, so they have to manage these uh, 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 two different cycles. So a lot of companies that go out, not because they, they are mature, they have the mature strategy, no, because they have the money, so they have to spend the money. And it's even worse for many overvalued Chinese Asia companies. They rush into the international market to make some acquisition because they have to spend the money in order to improve the top and the bottom line to justify the very high valuation they have. And the, the second one, again, I said, as a political person or international relationship person, you can talk a lot about the political uh, aspects of these initiatives. However, as a company, regardless they are private or state-owned, it's extremely difficult when you mix these both. And that brings you two big problems. First of all, you don't know actually clearly what is the goal of the investment. 
So that makes the, the, the outcomes very unpredictable or it's difficult to explain. And another big problem, once you start to use this political-driven reason as a rationale, then you cannot criticize the foreign host countries or companies to reject your deal because it's not considered as a market-based deal. And the third one is, of course, optimism. By nature, we come from a very high-growing economy. We enjoy the growth for years, and we, we think that it's just like everywhere. We are driving on a highway. Actually, it's a very bumpy way. You, you have to limit your speed to 30 miles per hour, but some people still go for uh, 120, and then you see the problem. So. The conclusion is that globalization is only one of the means. This is sometimes we try to undo and try to cool down our executive in our classroom. So the debate here, every time when we choose this sentence, the debate is always very hot and is always uh, mitigated because some people really believe we should go now. If we miss the train, there's no more train, but which is not true, as you know. And Execution is also a big problem. Of course, uh, uh, Kathleen, she's better expert than me because she's working a lot on the integration side. So the problem, of course, optimism will lead you to buy expensive, and the management issues, is, uh, as uh, uh, Professor Yang and our uh, ambassador also mentioned, that very different from the British people. You already paid your tuition fee for decades, not if not for centuries. So you know that that it's dangerous when you go out and you have to take a lot of uh, prudent uh, measures. But in Chinese, you don't know. So that's why the, the lack of talent for multinational, multinational or multicultural management is a huge problem in China. That's why this year, uh, led by our professor uh, Li Mingqing and uh, professor Wang Chong, we started a specific open program to train Chinese globalized talent for these companies. So we are working on that. It's, it's a very challenging job. Of course, the program is very hot. We are happy, but we know that the, the issue is, is really Really, really important. And of course, another big problem is that since you don't know the, the outside, so that's why we always, the, the Brits, you will be very happy to hear that, we always persuade them to use more consulting companies. To, to, to have these experts to help you. Try to minimize the unknown part to reduce the unknown. That, that's the bigger issue among the Chinese companies. So, of course, some of them, I will, I will close, some of them will succeed, so we have to close with an optimistic note. So, first thing I always tell my Chinese executives is that the first thing you must secure is try to avoid, because you paid to the Brits or to the French or Germans, you, you bought some pancake, you pay the pancake price. And once you, you, you receive the pancake, by operating your new business, then suddenly you pay pancake to zero. It's very possible to destroy the value, especially in the case we are talking about companies sitting on some intangible assets. So the first thing we always persuade Chinese to do is try to stabilize and in incentivize the management team because you have nobody. So try to rely on the ex existing team to incentivize them to do at least an equally good job in order to maintain the value. Of course, as you know, Chinese, they dream big. 
So they always want to turn their pancakes into cakes. <laughs> so if you compare the pancake with the cakes, the difference is very simple. You see the fruits and the cream. So where you can find the fruit and the cream? Of course, not in the host country. Because if the Brits can find their own fruits and the cream, they will never sell the company to you. Or they will sell the company to you with the cake price. For sure. You, you, you got it with the pancake price. You, you ought to look for the cream and, and the fruits within China, which means the Chinese money and the Chinese market. Okay, so I stop here. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the CEIBS China Knowledge Podcast. Keep up with business in China by subscribing on iTunes U or through your favorite podcast app. China Europe International Business School has campuses and teaching facilities in China, in Shanghai, Beijing, and Shenzhen, as well as Africa in Accra, Ghana, and in Europe in Zurich, Switzerland. The CEIBS MBA program is ranked number one in Asia and 11th in the world by the Financial Times 2017 Global MBA Ranking. CEIBS is the bridge that connects the world and China.